0: Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC
1: Connect.
2: Hey everybody! Thanks for joining in for a uh, broadcast this afternoon on the second half of 2022 Outlook, uh, co-sponsored by our longtime partners here at Maxwell. We're going to hang out for just a minute while attendees continue to filter in, and uh, we'll get started right at the top of the hour.
0: Tom, so now you're talking about, you know, TMC Company Swag. Are you going to be doing another hallway runway show for us?
2: <laughs> it, uh, I'm probably long overdue for that. We, uh, we got a lot of good laughs out of that YouTube video. That's uh, somewhere out there. Um, if, so, uh, if, if, if his colleagues have anything to say about it, the answer is absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I got a whole wardrobe of swag requests just after that video went out. It, uh, I could represent my partners every day of the week. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I want to welcome everybody this afternoon to our TMC Connect broadcast, which is co sponsored from our longtime partners uh, with Maxwell. It's entitled The Second Half of 2022 Outlook. Managing rising rates, declining volume, and the possible recession ahead. So, when I give a little plug to our partners at uh, Maxwell here, as I mentioned, longtime partner, been with us since 2018. Mortgage solutions provider offering comprehensive technology, really addressing the entire loan process from point of sale through the secondary market. Maxwell offers written report that digs into the advice and topics that we're going to be covering today. And I've actually shared that into the chat, so feel free to take a look and you can download that. Um, Or if you're listening in via phone, uh, Team at Maxwell is going to be sharing that out coming days here. So keep an eye on that. A lot of great insights. We're going to dive into some of that this afternoon here. Uh, Now, today's discussion really meant to serve as a look forward for the second half of the year, including anticipated challenges, ways to make the most out of a changing market. It's going to allow you to walk away with some actual insights from our distinguished panel that we've got today. So quick reminder out there for the attendees, this webinar is being recorded for on-demand viewing. You're going to get linked access to the recording and follow-up correspondence. Uh, Secondly, any questions that you've got throughout today's discussion, uh, feel free to drop them in the chat. We're going to look to address those towards the end of the call today as time allows. Um, So on that note, let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, got a host of silvering updates recently affecting the mortgage industry nationwide, uh, whether it's NBA's data recently revising their forecasts for originations from the year back in May, lowering the overall total down from uh, $2.6 trillion to $2.5 trillion, which obviously is a far cry from the record point four trillion in originated volume that we all saw last year. Got loan volumes continuing to decline, and depending on who you're talking to, we hear from our network of lender members, you know, could be forecasting anywhere from 15 to 50% down year over year. Add that with the Fed. Uh, hiking rates last month by 75 basis points, the largest increase since 1994. Tap that with this week's uh, Consumer Price Index indication up 9.1% year over year. And it pretty much seems all but certain at this point that when the Fed meets at the end of the month, probably looking at an additional 75 to 100 basis point increase. In addition to that, look at Maxwell's data, and they're seeing that 73% of lenders you know, are expecting Fed rate increases to continue to go even higher, and 48% expecting further drop in loan demand, uh, even after we've recently hit a 22-year low. On that note, everybody ready for a drink? <laughs> All anecdotes aside, these challenges are only likely to rise the rest of the year. So really to succeed in this environment, lenders need to go back to the basics, but also get, a creative, get creative on how you pursue profitability. So today I'm flanked by five distinguished mortgage veterans. They're going to offer their take on the market as well as areas of opportunity through the rest of 22 and beyond. Uh, so at this point, love to have the panel introduce yourselves, and we'll go round-robin. I'm we'll going to start with my man, Brian Traeger, over at Maxwell. Thanks, Tom.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm Brian Traeger, uh, Vice President of Customer Success at Maxwell. And I've been in the mortgage industry for just north of 10 years, kind of spanning across the areas. Started off in on uh, the mortgage-backed securities and capital markets side, and yeah, helping all of our customers here at Maxwell succeed. I'll hop it over to Seth.
3: Hi, Seth Sprague, CMB, uh, Director of Consulting Services here in Denver at uh, Richie May. Uh, been in the space longer than I care to announce publicly on this call. All right, Anthony, you want
2: to take it next? Yeah, yeah,
4: I'm Anthony Ianni. I'm solutions director here at uh, at Maxwell. I've been in the business uh, since yesterday afternoon, and uh, <laughs> as Seth knows, right. So, but but I uh, spent the majority of my career in capital markets and secondary marketing. Although uh, I have worked in correspondent lending and a number of other uh, number a number of other different functions around the
2: business. So, thanks for having us. Okay, absolutely. Okay, my screen, I'm going to turn it over to Amy Brandt next.
5: Hi, everybody. I'm Amy Brandt, formerly CEO of First American DocuTech, currently board member at Maxwell, and several other real estate and mortgage-related board of directors.
2: Amy, and last but certainly not least, Kim Powers? Hi,
1: everyone. Uh, I'm Kim Powers, and I'm the vice president of business development at Maxwell. I've been in the mortgage industry for over 25 years, and I really- Wish I heard Seth's response uh, <laughs> before I announced that, uh, well, which I did, but I didn't think about it. Um, but anyway, um, work for technology and services providers um, over the years, uh, with really with a focus on developing efficient and sustainable profitability and growth solutions for mortgage lenders.
5: Excellent. Well, thank you, so everybody. I for... didn't even give a number. <laughs> <laughs>
4: It's a big one, 34 years.
2: <laughs> well, on that note, let's go ahead and jump right into the discussion. I want to kick things off um, by going really around the group for your thoughts on the market for the remainder of this year, and particularly what lenders should be most concerned about in the second half of 2022. And Brian, I'll start with you here.
0: Yeah, thanks, thanks, Tom. I think. One piece that we've focused and, and really have been asking a lot of our customers, CEOs, and and uh, C-level executives has been right around this. And in the last three years, uh, it's been interesting because when 2022 took that turn and the refinance boom really started, uh, a lot of those C-level executives said they had no time for strategy. And they weren't really prepared for any of these market conditions. So that's that's now causing problems, because when you're trying to just keep up with the demand those last two years, and then now we take a quick shift into the other direction, people are being very reactive. And so some, some of the performances that we're seeing is a lack or too much um, reactivity and less preparation for the uncertainty. And so what we've really been challenging folks to do is yes make sure that your team is solving the problems that need to be solved today to survive but start looking at what could be around the corner and start to strategize what you will do in those different scenarios so that if and when one of them come to fruition you'll be ready you know helox of course are a really popular product right now deservedly so and we're seeing a lot of our customers that just you know, can't offer it. So they're standing up the HELOC operation, which is taking time. They're losing some market share. And so when rates rise, that, that's kind of something that you could prepare for in a sense. And so that's that's what we're seeing is the a lack of preparation and strategy because of the super high demand that was in place uh, in the last two years leading up to now.
2: Amy, what are you seeing out there?
5: Well, Unfortunately, in the mortgage business, everything old is new again. It's not, you know, anyone that's been on this call that says they've been in the business 20 years or more have seen a couple of these cycles. And and one of the things that's old, that's new again, is, is whenever these cycles occur, the first reaction is a sort of set of denial, like, we're going to get through this, you know, we'll take market share, we'll outgrow it. Uh, and then the reality sets in that it's just a much lower. We're heading... Back towards an environment where we're likely to be in what I would call a normalized um, mortgage market size, which, if you look over the last decade, is closer to 1.6 trillion. That's less than half the size of, of what was 2022. Much less.
2: Maybe we're getting a little bit of breakup on your end here, but I think the last thing I caught there was you know definitely while the uh, origination projections are down for this year, it's still you know a pretty strong overall lending environment historically speaking when you compare to industry norms. There, um, come back to you here, is work through that, uh, Anthony. Would love your your take here, especially as it relates to technology in this environment.
4: Yeah, I think I think one of the big thing is is to, to Brian's point, folks really focused on on their process and trying to get as many loans as they could through the pipeline, and they they put off those decisions and those those strategic decisions and those that that thought process um, around their tech stack. So they seem to be behind in their technology, and and now just in having conversations with people, they while they have the time now, they're thinking about. Well, maybe I don't want to spend the money, and and I guess my thought around that is is look at your efficiencies. Well, when we talk to people, we're hearing that their manufacturing process is actually taking longer these days than shorter, which you would think would be the opposite with less loans. So, so think about think about bettering your tech stack. Um, you know, maybe you're going to spend a couple of extra dollars today, but you'll save it over time by simply being able to do more loans, maybe garnering a better price if you're hedging, they're going to your hedge costs should be a little lower. And so there's a, a lot of things like that that I think lenders, you know, are are missing that they should focus on. Anthony, that's a good point because like the return on investment
0: it it should be different for each lender out there. Like, you know, firms will always that are selling technology will say, "Hey, here's your ROI." But you really have to take that and put it into your own model and what you're focused on because not every lender is the same and there's little efficiencies here and there that you really want to pick up with certain technologies so it's a challenge to do your own ROI analysis don't just take what the firm that
4: the tech right. firm's giving you right right and and that's a great point brian and you i think you're right on Can Also, you, to turn- you
5: know the ROI it depend a lot on on how you implement a technology. If you're the vendor, and certainly I've been the vendor, you're you're calculating the ROI in an optimized situation where you're taking the most advantage of the what the technology can do. Uh, and we've seen lots of implementations, anyone on the vendor side, where clients don't really optimize their process to take advantage of the technological capabilities. So ROIs can vary vary a lot.
0: That's a good point. We see like you know the decision maker of technologies is very much a different person or a different seat in the organization than those who are implementing and adopting. And so, having that top-down communication and and cohesive buy-in to these pieces is super important, and that drives value as soon as possible, which is hopefully what you want when you're signing up for something mm-hmm. is, is immediate value.
2: I student Brian. Kim, I want to turn it over to you for uh, your take about what lenders should be most concerned about the back half of this year.
1: Sorry, I found the mute button. Um, I think one of the uh, the biggest concerns facing us is all as an industry is finding loan volume in a market where inventory is limited and uh, the lack of affordability is keeping home buyers mm-hmm. sidelined. Um, that's gonna require lenders to be really diligent in both their sales effort and execution. Um, as Anthony and, um, everyone has alluded to here, um, inefficiencies in the loan manufacturing process and in the tech stack are deal breakers, literally. And, you know, using technology automation and fully understanding operational inefficiencies or deficiencies, um, so that they can be corrected is critical going forward.
2: That's such a great point. I mean, with, the affordability challenges out there, they're certainly not going anywhere. If you can streamline efficiencies throughout your process, particularly through your tech, you know there's opportunities to keep that loan cost down too and help the consumer out and stay profitable where possible. Yeah. Seth, I'd love your thoughts
3: yeah I, I agree with a lot of the comments made. I, I'd say on the tech stack, and it's important to understand your benchmarking and understand how you're stacking up to others in, in a comparison. I think is one of the critical elements for folks. When everyone's making money and they're making forward base points alone, nobody really cares about benchmarking or efficiencies, but we certainly care about that today. And I also just want to raise the point of as we as we've gone through these cycles and and, and you know we're all vets here on the call. But you know, the quick answer is, well, what long product can I do or what can I change? And a lot of times that leads to sort of other risks that to your point, Brian, might be impacting your strategy. So don't let a short-term strategy like leave you behind with a lot of long-term risks, whether it's on a product side or the tech side or just sort of making the short-term decisions that are really going to impact your long-term strategy and have that negative impact on risk. So many times we've seen people charge down the hill of a product or charge down this. And it just ends up being a distraction and an expense rather than kind of sticking to the knitting. I mean, I know we've got the British Open going on, but I mean, like hitting it down the middle of the fairway at this point isn't really a bad strategy for folks, you know, doing the vanilla product, doing what you're good at and kind of letting some of the the choppiness get out of the market before you really kind of dump a lot of time, energy or expense into something that might not prove to be all that valuable in the long term. I mean, we, we could talk about home equities. I mean, you know, if we're in a recession and you're going to load up on home equities, are banks and credit unions really want to hold those on equity loans if they right. think housing is going to decline in value? We all have a lot of paper excess value, but, you know, is that really a long-term play? I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but I, I just think that as an industry, we always try to find the easy answer as opposed to maybe that consistent strategy might work out better for you in the long run.
4: Yeah. And, you know, to to kind of piggyback on what Seth is saying, too, is 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 know your counterparty and make sure that you have multiple homes for those for those loans, especially some of the less liquid product like home equity. And and I don't want to say that non-QM is less liquid, but it's less liquid than a you know Con 30 Fannie Freddie loan, right? So make sure that you have multiple takeouts for those. Make sure that you understand. Make sure that you understand underwriting guidelines that you're closing things properly. We have a legion of loan officers and processors and underwriters that have never done an adjustable before, and so I think you know I think you need to be mindful and think about how those are done before you to, you know to to use Seth's. Term charge down the hill.
1: So it's yeah.
0: a tough strategy to walk through too, as an executive of a lender, because you have loan officers that you're trying to retain who are probably knocking on your door saying, "Hey, give me construction loans, construction permanent bridge, uh, HELOCs, all this stuff that they want to do to increase their volume and their compensation." And then, Seth, to your your point, you know, there's credit risk. There's all sorts of other factors that are in play with bringing on new products, and you got to make everybody happy
3: expansion of your program codes from one page to six pages is probably not Ill, is not advised at this point when margins are thin and, and that liquidity can be fleeting. And Anthony, to your point and to your point as well, uh, Brian, on that, even within some of the down the middle of the fairway, you know, may servicing, you're starting to see illiquidity nature on the lower FICO's. People starting to think about recession, what it to be, the servicing cash flows, and so even product that is liquid or has been liquid at times can suffer from pockets of illiquidity, which can have a real impact on your on your financials in the short term and long term risks if you end up retaining that servicing. So, again, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't want to make a lot of changes at this point, but I think you really want to be cautious as to where you're where you're going. Mm-hmm. I mean, Seth, that's a great
5: point you bring up on on MSRs. Already the valves backing up Great. You know, because of expectations regarding uh, delinquency, long CPRs, right? Like it, things aren't going to run off the books and the, the delinquencies could spike in a recession and HPI possibly decline because housing usually leads in a recession. So there's a lot of challenges there. There's also some other global macro challenges with respect to like the yen flapping in the wind out there and the potential for that to create sort of a 1997 asian liquidity crisis type event. So you never know. I mean there's a lot of scary macro things out there. So I would definitely not to be the doomsayer on here but <laughs> you know we've all seen it in in these 20 years the thing that happens in those kind of macro cycles is you lose liquidity for loans for some period of time. And if you don't lose liquidity because it's down the middle of the road, you really, you know, lose uh, the ability to execute at sustainable margins. And so you really kind of have to make sure you have multiple takeouts or forward commit your volume if you can do that to sort of hedge against those shocks.
3: Anthony and I always say in times like this, you can never have enough liquidity. Whether never enough liquidity.
5: liquidity. Yep.
3: You have never enough liquidity, whether it's correspondence, selling co-issues, selling both yep. having agency tickets. Like you never have enough liquidity. You never, know, never have enough options. And I have a general fear that there's been... You know, a lot of mortgage companies that have come into the space and they know nothing but, um, you know, uh, rates fall and therefore I have a refinance cycle. And as you kind of have to get to a normal market, uh, Amy, as you talked about, you we're heading to a normal market. Whatever the new normal is, we're going to be there. You know, but structural turnover due to like policy changes out of DC or state law differences, like all these are areas that we have never experienced even though we collectively have more than Anthony's experience of one day in the mortgage space. And so it it is one of those scenarios there where I I think even us who have been in the space for a while have to think about what other things could happen today that we haven't even seen, even though we've seen a lot collectively, right? All of a sudden, uh, the Supreme Court makes a ruling, and all of a sudden people want to move to a certain state or move out of a different state. We've never experienced that in our careers. And and I just... And I just say that in general, the, the, the volatility of volatile actions has increased in this country, which is never good for markets. Anthony, you could speak to this and, and, and you can too, Brian. But when there's volatility or uncertainty or unknowns, pricing and execution don't get maximized. And we're That's certainly
4: right. in that scenario. Well, you you saw you saw kind of like that disconnect happen as as we started to move up in up in the coupon stack as the market started to sell off earlier in the year, you know, cost to hedge was maybe a, a less than a half a basis point, and then it went up to like a, almost two basis points, and that's just and roll costs were like through the roof, and it was super expensive for folks to hedge. So, I mean, you 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 have to think about that stuff, and I and I think you know Amy says it right in you know. We could have some type of currency issue down the line. So so how do you kind of insulate yourself from that? Look at your policy procedures. Don't be, don't get cute with your extensions. You know, think about your extended rate locks. Are you you looking at your pull through? Are you evaluating your vendor relationships, especially on the investor side? There's a lot of things to think about. And this is a good time to do that.
2: Definitely, definitely. You guys, boom. Well, in depth of uh, a lot of the challenges we're currently facing and may very well see in the uh, near, or not too distant future. I want to flip it on its coin here and look at a uh, glass half full uh, perspective and, and get each of your takes on the opportunities that lie for lenders out there in this market, despite the market challenges we're all seeing.
0: Yeah, for me, I think it's about the borrower experience. Um, I've heard far too many stories of first-time home buyers in 2020 and 2021 uh, going to a loan officer, and because that first-time home buyer wasn't completely educated on what to do, and that loan officer had 30 refis to do at the time, they said, nah, "Sorry, just please move on." Uh, we kind of can't let that happen. Uh, so, <laughs> with that added volume in the last two years, I think there has been that personal touch may have and certain areas gone away. And so now, hopefully, uh, people are focusing in on that more. And of course, technology is there to make a certain experience digitally and friendly and easy and smooth. But that person-to-person experience is going to be super important and already is. And those things yield dividends. So working with real estate agents at a timely manner and making sure that the borrowers that do have a good experience with you referring you to their friends and family. That person-to-person experience is super important and is going to help stabilize a lot of these loan officers to, to withstand this market. And that's nothing you know, quite new to those loan officers who have been around. They know that they have their referral sources that they're relying on, but a lot of new loan officers who have entered into the space might not know that. And they may have been attracted to come in in the last couple of years That's what's really going to help you stick around.
2: Yeah, no question about that. We talk about it so much at a B2B level that this will always be a relationship business. But I feel like despite the digital transformation enabling um, the human-to-human experience, that doesn't go away at a B2C level either. Um, Seth, love your opinion on, on the opportunity out there. Yeah,
3: I think to, to Brian's point, and just to pull it out a little bit further, I think that as you see some policy here, rhetoric of policy changes out of Washington, D.C. and what, again, more low to moderate income borrowers trying to get them in, education has become critical for loan officers, right? And and I, I think I was on a different call and I, I turned to call loan officers should really become loan coaches, right? At the end of the day, they should really coach those borrowers as to what it means to own a home. What does it really mean to really attract those first time home buyers? And I think the mortgage market, and I know um, Amy and others here could talk better about the technology stacks, but I, I think at the end of the day, the borrower experience think about a borrower that's just gone through like and looked at 100 homes, made multiple offers, offers and never got a house. And all of a sudden they finally get that contract. Like they're already burned out of the mortgage process at this point, right? I mean, we, we teeter on the fact that they might actually be gone from the market. But if you could create that positive experience on now in the back end, where the mortgage process used to be the problem, but that's the easy part. The hard part was actually finding the house. Like you could really create that sort of loyal customer for life. And let's face it, Anthony and Anthony and I was on a call could talk about, but spreads are kind of wide today, right? Part of the reason why servicing values are backing off a little bit and people are a little skittish about certain TVA trades is that spreads are wide historically. We could get a refinance bubble here where everything we we created in 2022 can refinance very quickly if markets sort of normalized. And if you've done a good job with that borrow up front, you get that loan back. And I think that's where the, the mortgage coach and the technology really needs to intercede with those borrowers to really give them that positive experience to really create that sticky customer. And I think we're in a unique period here where the mortgage process and actually loading documents isn't the problem. The problem is getting into the house and getting the contract done, right? We can create the really positive experience in the back end as an industry if we do it well. And that's unique from where we've been over my more than one day career in this space.
2: (laughs) Amy, welcome your thoughts, in particular around, you know, assessing and investing in technology um, in this current environment where things are a little quieter from a volume perspective.
5: Well- well there's the how to make chicken salad out of chicken shite is the is the opportunity and the innovation that is born of desperation and need so volumes you know when they're high a lot of innov- innovation is stalled because folks are just shoveling in the loans trying to keep up throwing human spackle at the problem and and you know getting them closed now that you have to sort of go out there and fight for the purchase business with realtors and build relationships innovation starts to get born because if you're going to go as a loan officer and steal, so to speak, a realtor from a different loan officer. You got to bring something new to the table. You have to give them a compelling reason to change from what they know. And that's going to take some real uh, you know technology and relationship. And I think table stakes technology has been a point-of-sale tool, ways to sort of exchange documents and requirements from customers. But what else? What else can there be? And I think, you know, I'm not going to answer that question per se, other than to say I think there's still a lot of target-rich environment. I don't think any of us would sit here and say, Technology has transformed this business. It is smooth <laughs> silk now. No one thinks that from the customer side or on the internal operating, processing, underwriting side, no one thinks that. So there's still quite a bit of room for innovation. Now, I think it will be challenging for individual le- lenders in a, an environment such as this to you know, put huge bets down on building out proprietary technology. But I think they can make incremental innovations. I think they can find vendors that help support their vision and put them together in a way that works well, in a cohesive way. So finding partners that integrate well, play well, and help to sort of unify into an experience that they're trying to create, I think that's possible. But, you know, the the good news, I guess, if you're ferreting out the good news here, is the urgency's there. So, you know, (laughs) we we will start to see that. Because I can tell you from the vendor side, you know, 2021 was hey, we have this great technology. Yeah, we're busy. See you later. Um, so I think that, you know, that's less and less going to be the case and, and more and more looking for new solutions.
2: Yeah, no doubt about that. We saw it at our most recent conference in, in Miami and, and hear from our team too, just about the constant influx from lenders that are sitting well in a cash on hand position to really, now they've got some breathing room, take a look at their... Tech suite, tech stack, and and really do a deeper dive assessment into kind of optimizing their efficiencies there. And um, on that note, I'm going to turn it over to you, Anthony, for you know the the seed of optimism on the secondary market side your <laughs> plus experience.
4: I'll, I'll I'll kind of build on what Amy what what Amy said about. About urgency. So I think, I think there's, I think the opportunity now is, is since you can take maybe a step back and you can look at your, at your capital markets piece you know tighten up your policies and procedures look to see if there's any holes in your lock desk problem. you know in your lock desk procedures maybe you should not be maybe you should not be doing overnight rate protection maybe you should kind of wait on that until the market gets a little less volatile so there's things that you can do that that maybe you got away from in 2020 and 2021 because volumes are so crazy maybe you got away from from looking at your your purchase advices, and you could be leaving money on the table. Maybe you're not back testing your margin. Maybe maybe it's not a bad idea to to maybe not take a particular loan. And I know that sounds hard, and I don't I do not own a business, but sometimes it's better to make margin than it is to lose margin and take the loan. Because what what did you really net out? Nothing so so sometimes right so sometimes it sometimes it makes sense to do that so and i think the other thing too and i i think this is where where amy was headed was you know evaluate your relationships talk to your investors look to see if there's any any holes in the process with the, with those folks maybe it's maybe it's time to replace one investor with another investor because they're a little more efficient and they rely more on technology and things like that so so i i i think me personally, I'm optimistic. I like, I like, I, you know, while I don't like the market because you, you you want to see more volume, I still think it's a good opportunity. I think it's, you know, folks my age maybe have gotten out of the business from an origination standpoint. And so now there's a whole host of folks that aren't being covered from a, uh, from, you know, from, from, from the normal knocking on doors and asking realtors for business. So let's get out, let's get back to basics and kind of do the things that work for us, you know, pre refi of them.
3: And, Anthony, to kind of dovetail off that a little bit, the the Richie made benchmarking data that we've got, Mm -hmm. short of sort of capital markets and all that execution, Q1 was already negative, right? From a profitability standpoint. It's only until you add back sort of the hedging is it profitable. And so, all those small mistakes, all those little things that you were like, well, we'll fix that later, like you have to fix those now, whether it's you know, the rate extensions, or did you like over July 4th weekend, did you hold rates or did you not allow that to happen? I mean, that those small dollars add up when you don't have yeah. that big, massive pile of gain on sale. We are yeah. already negative until you get there. Q2 is going to be worse, right? And so it's those small things that you can fix that are within your control that might be able to turn you to break even or profitable. And, you know, we, we always had a, a saying, you know, these years you hit home runs. And there's years that you hit singles. This year, you're going to hit a bunch single, right? I mean, you really got to be careful about what you're going to do and make sure that you're, you know, you go through your vendors. Are they actually providing the value? Go through your tech stack. Wait a minute, we've got three CRMs that are, two of them aren't being used. Like, you'll find all these little pieces that if you're not sort of disciplined about going back through and sort of really, I'd say, making sure that you're getting the best execution out of every place you can get it.
4: Yep, there's there's money lurking in your pipeline. I'm convinced. When I was on the hedge side of life, I, I, it's it's in there. So you 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 have to go look for it, and you have to work at it. We know that volume solves a lot of problems,
0: right? When the tide goes lower, you see skeletons in the waters. But I mean, is that a big thing that's happening right now, or with all the profits that we had in the last couple of years, people not save properly? It's kind of like I'm kind of mm-hmm. confused by it.
2: A little bit of both, I would imagine.
3: I, I, well, I, I think it will speak to counterparty, not to turn it back to a servicing or correspondent conversation. But you know, audit financial statements in 2020, 2019 versus twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, they're going to look really different, right? What does that equity position look like, and what do companies do? And there was a wide variety of what people did as far as taking equity in or out of the company. But to your point, Brian, I think generally speaking, people are better capitalized at this point than they were. But what people are doing right now, and I'd say is kind of the knee jerk expense reduction side, and they're kind of going, well, if I get rid of this operation staff, I'm gonna reduce costs. Well, you might just have re- increased your risks, right? Because you just may have gotten rid of the underwriters that were the best. And so how'd you evaluate it? How'd you do it? Or you just kind of blindly cut costs? And my fear always is in the industry is that we kind of blindly cut costs as opposed to assessing that risk move behind that expense reduction or that risk move behind trying to grow that revenue.
2: Well, I got to bring it up here just because it's a great comment on the chat. Uh, When the tide goes out, you see who is wearing a bathing suit. I think that's very (laughs) apropos for the conversation. (laughs) <laughs> so I want to close this out with you, Kim. We kind of talked about some of the concerns that could come from launching new products and some of the potential pitfalls out there, but I'd love for you to expand upon the potential opportunity that comes with it as well.
1: Yeah, we've we've talked um just now a lot about um inefficiencies but yet sense of urgency and um the launching of new products and channels as a way to cast a wider net and um kind of counter that uh volume reduction that we've seen so um that's easier said than done though and um it, it uh it, you know it, home equity just for example it's all we're hearing about right now right so but we haven't seen this type of demand for equity products for years, really. Um, I mean, nobody's going to touch their first mortgage, like we've said.
2: There,
1: there's, there's demand, but most lenders don't have the infrastructure in place to launch very quickly. And um, in that case, outsourcing is a really good option at this stage. And you know, for the past couple of years, we've talked about outsourcers as the place to go to um, because you've got so much, you don't have capacity, right? There's so much volume you've got to put it someplace and you need help. Um, where I think outsourcers can, can um, uh, come into play now is as a strong strategic partner. Um, you have the opportunity to leverage infrastructure that's already in place um, that helps to, you um, uh, helps lenders to reap the benefits really of the market demand without the expense, the time investment, and the risk of launching products. Um, also allows them to leverage the expertise of um, the, the outsource provider. Um, they Mortgage folk, we, we you know, with lots of, you know, we talk about the people on this call, people that have been through it and that um, know the business. And it's it's nice to have that type of expertise to um, help you with some of those, that new introduction of products and channels.
2: No question at all, um, because it's such a hot topic right now, you know, are there anything that you might add on there Kim as far as what like lenders should be considering when going down the rabbit hole of looking at a new product or even like helos in particular
1: So again um, you know, low margin product. I've had that conversation so much, you know, we, we want to capitalize on it. We we are looking for the volume, um, but how do we do this and make any money at it? And you know, like we've said, um sometimes um you know it's it's good to go after that volume, but if it's it's negative, then you know maybe that's not the best option. Um, but I think like I said, partnering with someone that already has that infrastructure in place and looking for um the right um you know single source provider um that can uh to, to get you up and running quickly. I mean we're talking about Q3 and the second half of the year. You don't launch new um new channels and, and uh new products and expect strong efficiency um in in a matter of weeks and months like that. So um Partnering with somebody that's already got it in place is really um, a great option going forward as a strategic partner.
2: For sure. And Seth, anything you want to add in there? I guess from a risk perspective, you kind of talked about it a little bit previously, but as it relates to the launch of new product offerings. I I would just say, you know, having
3: been through more than one of these cycles where we were going to do option arms and then we were going to do reverse mortgages and then we were going to do home equities and we're going to dominate the market. I mean, every time we tried that, we were at a bank. We failed utterly at those. What we were good at was regular old Fannie Freddie's and Jumbos, right? And so, I think understanding what your sales force asks for and what they actually need and can deliver volume, it doesn't work. It doesn't work to make one loan in a loan program and, and launch it, and then you've made one loan in that program. I think the other side you just have to be careful on. At this point, is as Anthony already said, make sure you've got a large enough pool of investors. That can make sense. I mean, even when you may have four or five of them lined up, that may not be enough, depending on the uniqueness of that product. And so, I just, you know, it's just an error of caution that that doesn't mean you shouldn't go through the program and product, but you really need to make sure you have those investors lined up because it only takes a few loans in a scratch and dent market. And Anthony's traded a lot of scratch and dent loans in his market to wipe out someone's equity. Um, and true. That, that is something that you have to kind of balance that risk of, is that risk worth whatever that margin is, or is it in those loans? And some of that can be very fleeting and can go away, way quicker than people expect.
4: Yeah, we say it. I say it often, but understand your counterparty, understand your contractual obligations. Talk to your warehouse provider. If you're an independent, make sure that you're talking to your warehouse provider because there are there are some rumblings with just recently what just recently happened in the marketplace on the non-QM side where some of the warehouse banks are starting to look a little differently at that product. So make sure that you understand that if, if you have a sublimit if that's available or if you have to have some conversations with those folks. I would also challenge people to yeah,
0: analyze it a little bit deeper on why this product makes sense to you like where is it coming from is it coming from every single real estate agent that's referring your team's business Mm -hmm. is it people randomly knocking on your door whether online or in person like really understanding what's driving the demand for those besides just simple market economics and then so then you can forecast hey if we bring on this new product we can expect this amount of volume but then really what's leading indicator to the volume it's where the demands coming from if it is the real estate agent partners well part of securing that volume and getting the value of what you've just produced with a new product is doubling down in your relationship with that those real estate agents and so think of it deeper and understand the full reasons of why you should or shouldn't bring on products
2: Definitely, Brian. Protect it on
0: the back end, like you said, Anthony, with the liquidity.
4: You, re- you really do, because if you can't, eri- and this happened, I lived this, if you, we we did not do our proper due diligence a long time ago on one particular product. And we, we went through, we spent a ton of money originating it, you know, getting it out there. We did some marketing, a lot of other things, but we didn't do enough analysis to see if we were going to be profitable in the marketplace. We did not originate anything, and ultimately it was a bust. So I learned, a, I learned a hard lesson back in maybe 1990,
2: 91. No doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> and, and probably another cycle or two to, to come as well. I mean, uh, Amy, real quick, I, I want to pivot to you here. You talked about it a little bit before in the opportunity side, but I love your take on the role that technology is going to play in the lender's success you know, as this current market downturn progresses.
5: I mean, very, very broadly speaking, there's two areas of, of, of sort of the application of technology. One is in the customer facing experience. I touched on that a little earlier with respect to going out and winning realtor business or winning that customer loyalty that Seth you know spoke about earlier. A lot of that's going to come through. Uh, technology application in, in that customer experience and how they're inter- interacting with the company. The other is in the internal technology used to lower cost to produce, to create efficiencies that help you know go to the bottom line, which can then back translate to customer experience with respect to speed to close and also pricing advantages to the extent that you're able to get cost advantages. So there's two real areas I think companies have to Do you think about how they wanna invest in each of those and what they expect those returns to be? Um, And I think it's very important when looking at one's cost structure, you know, we were talking about, Seth talking about this earlier, like, how do we make sure that we're cutting costs and creating a cost structure that gives us competitive advantage at the same time? Like, how do we get there from here without cutting too much to create risk? And I think it's really important to understand how to break down your process and understand the costs in, you know, the smallest buckets possible so that you can really attack the, your largest area of opportunities first. I'm pretty sure for most companies, underwriting usually bubbles to the top. Um, underwriting is pretty expensive. And it's also a big risk deterrent. So that's a, an important one and looking for solutions to help with underwriting. Uh, there's a lot of other areas as well, all the way through post-closing and even into secondary marketing and servicing. So it's it's uh, it's going to be a, a, an analytical exercise and then go find those technologies out there. It's always important to, to take the pitches and see what what innovations are out there because that can help spark, spark ideas as to how to get things to work together. There are a lot of fintechs out there trying to come up with solutions and have taken innovative approaches if you can find a way to make that weave nicely into your into your tech stack and you can continue to do process optimization to take advantage of the technology you have and the technologies you could have um, then then i think you're in a good spot we should have those are good practices right you should be doing that all the time but now it's just like mission critical
4: i love it amy what you just said take the pitches that's so true yeah. take the take the 15 or 20 20 minutes or 30 minutes and and listen, you, you, there may be something there. Love that.
2: No doubt about it. Um, it. We're running a little short on time, so I want to address kind of the elephant in the room question out there. And that, you know, I guess I'll, I'll turn it to Seth and Brian in particular here. That's how can lenders help borrowers get into homes right now despite inventory shortages and as well as a continuing raising risk, rising risk environment, right? Ugh rising
3: interest rate environment. Let's try that
0: again. Oh, Brian, you want to go first? Yeah, I think uh, being considerate, being a good person to these folks is really super important and and setting proper expectations. Um, I I, I answered something in the chat too, and I said, you know, it's very stressful buying a house right now. And it is a purchase market because so many folks are you know, making offers that are still at the top end of the ask, but are still losing out. Um, Knowing that that is possible and, you know, probable in a a sense, help coach your borrowers through that. Really lean in with your lending team, whether it be your processor or the real estate agent that's partnered with you on that um, and show some compassion. I think those things go a long way and just having the stamina to actually go and get into the house. Because a lot of folks don't buy a house every day, every month, every year. Like this, this is a new experience almost every time for most people. So, educating them about what's going on right now and supporting them—that's a
3: big piece. And I would echo that. You know, as as property values are where they're at, having that conversation of there's going to be some roadblocks along the way as we try to originate this loan for you. And one of the big ones is where's is the appraisal going to come in. Right. I think having those conversations up front with them to the coaching point, Brian, I think is, is 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 really where you can really score some points with the board. Right. Look, you're buying at the top of the market it doesn't mean you shouldn't buy. But how is the appraisal going to come in? We know that's going to be a big roadblock that's going to occur during this window. We got to get through that. Um, I think really trying to be that good advocate for them as they're buying a house and setting them up for success. Um, The one thing I always worry about in times like this is that we're, we're trying to, as an industry, gain origination volume. But we need to make sure we're gaining origination volume of people that could be successful in owning those homes. And that's a success isn't just closing the loan. It's their long term success in able to maintain the property, in order to make the mortgage payments. And I think kind of having that conversation up front, not trying to discourage them from buying, not trying to not close that loan, but really having those conversations up front, I think is critical and really would pay long-term dividends in kind of the social media world. Of wow, you know that loan officer really took the time. He or she spent the time with me to really coach me through this and walk me through what this means and what it doesn't mean. I think that's how you really build the loyalty in times like this, because it's stressful. It's the biggest environment biggest transaction they're probably going to do, but they need to be coached through it. Simply just saying, yeah, here's our automated solution. Load your docs here. I'm going to take care of it. That's probably not enough coaching along the way to make them be successful or feel like they're being successful along the way. And that's how you keep your market share too, against the big online
0: lenders that are out there that are getting bigger and bigger and bigger is a lot of those folks don't have the time to sit down and, and educate and, and coach. No, there's plenty of borrowers out there who can self-service all the way through and know this stuff. But for the most part, it's really helpful to have somebody knowledgeable and upfront about that coaching and setting the expectations that builds credibility. Hopefully that builds a sticky borrower and then they're going to refer you elsewhere or refer you to their friends and family too. But Amy, I know you had a couple of comments on, on the appraisal piece too. Is there something that you wanted to mention there?
5: I just think that that could definitely have the potential to be a challenge if we have um recession and declining HPI that goes with it. And certainly you're already seeing the cooling of several housing markets, you know, where house you know, you're seeing price reductions already. So you're going to have a challenge where there's comps still um, from a higher housing market, more recent comps that are lower and things being priced in between. So it will be a challenge for a little while to get appraisals and making sure that they come in. And so I think that uh, everyone needs to probably <laughs> be prepared for that. It's
4: it's interesting you you make that comment, Amy. I had a conversation with, with a a very, a a decent sized Denver based lender this morning and asked that question and they said, they're seeing it. Not often, but they're seeing it.
5: It always kind of comes up during a reset if you will or a period of transition. Yep.
2: So, Anthony, I want to keep it with you here and bring Seth back in, you know, quick question around servicing and your guys' opinions on what lenders should take into consideration when it comes to loan servicing in today's market.
4: I, I, Me I, and Seth is more of an expert in it than I am, but I think, I, I think, you know, we have seen values start to tick down a little bit. I think if you're, if you, If you are interested in selling, this may not be a bad opportunity to, to really think about that. I think you have to be really mindful about what you're servicing. So, you know, the most of the hedge advisors out there have best execution models that will, you know, they can spit out maybe you should retain these three loans based on geography and other loan attributes. Maybe these four over here, maybe you don't want to service those. Maybe you want to sell those off to an aggregator. So I think you, I think you need to be very cautious about what you service, because again, as we kind of cycle through this and, and the reality is, is this, you know, we're, we're probably heading into a recession if we're not already there right now, Um, DQs are going to start to increase. And the last thing you need is, is to have a huge cash outlay because as everyone knows on the call, just because the borrower stops making their payment doesn't mean you have to. I mean, Seth, you could probably add way more color.
3: Yeah, my first my first thought is make sure that that best execution wherever you're getting it from is consistent with your strategy, um, and make sure that the MSR input is a good number that fits your strategy. Because um, no offense to loans in New Jersey, but. If you're retaining loans in New Jersey, it doesn't take a lot of those loans to be delinquent before you have massive TNI advances. So understand what that best execution is telling you and think about it in both the long-term and short-term view. Um, and, and Anthony always likes it when I pick on New Jersey because he's from Philly. So you know, I threw that one in for you, Anthony. Um, on the other side of servicing, look, values, there's a lot of supply, there's still demand, but values have softened. They've softened for a variety of reasons. I think really understanding your true cash flows to you and the value of that customer. Are you in servicing because you like the annuity of cash? Or are you in it for the potential recapture? Why are you in servicing? The strategic decision of why you're in servicing really dictates as to whether or not it's a good time to buy, sell, or hold. But for some shops, the answer is they just like the cash coming in on a monthly basis and kind of the rest of the accounting doesn't matter to them. but you do want to make sure you've got that strategy lined up. Look, servicing's not for everybody. And, and I've done a lot of work with people. Should I retain or not retain servicing? And I walk them through, build them a customized model to kind of walk them through this analysis. But at the end of the day, I have this conversation with management. How much time do you have to dedicate to servicing? And they look at me like, what do you mean? I was like, You retaining servicing means it's taking time away from your origination practice or wherever you spend your time. So do you have the adequate management capacity to even think about this as an asset? And if the answer is no, then you should be selling release. If the answer is yes, then you kind of walk down the financial analysis. But it's not one of those decisions. Back to that point, though, on liquidity, if you don't have your agency tickets, you've learned multiple times over the last several years and several decades that not having agency tickets can be really detrimental to the value of your company. So I think having the ability to service is critical. Though actually retaining servicing consistently may not be part of your long-term strategy. Yep. That was a quick answer.
4: That's usually an hour of Anthony and me talking. So I, I was actually have you a couple of minutes. A long time ago, Seth called me one, one morning. It was a beautiful afternoon. And Seth all he said to me was, remember, Anthony, servicing is tricky and I'm <laughs> So there
2: you go. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, this group's given fantastic insights so far. And I want to close this out by giving the opportunity, kind of going around, Rob, and we'll go in inverse order this time. But I'll start with Kim. Um, you, what piece of advice, in a quick nutshell, that you'd give to any lender on this line, you uh, know, as they plan for Q three and really for the second half of twenty two and beyond?
1: Um, I would say think outside the box. Um, don't be afraid to explore new ways of doing things. I love what Amy said about taking the pitch. Um, there are so many new companies out there, um, that are doing great things and, um, they're not names that are familiar to us in the mortgage industry. We've done things the same way for a really long time. Um, it, it's, uh, don't, uh, Don't be afraid to leverage industry partners and and get their perspective on things um, because identifying those inefficiencies um, so we can solve for them and recognize greater success is
2: key. Thank you, Kim. Amy, I'll turn it to you.
5: I mean, I think very broadly, it's time to go in the foxhole be prepared. The second half of the year is likely to be worse. So get your best team members around you coming up with innovative ideas, do zero cost budgeting, understand how, you know, how you could survive some worst case scenarios, because that'll give you the sort of peace of mind to then go and attack the opportunities without being just stressed if you're going to make it another 45 days or what, you know, so, so do what you have to do to fortify and get ready. And then you can, you know, really start doing some creative things and win market share.
2: Mm -hmm. Anthony, your thoughts to close?
4: You know, I, I preach this all the time. Let's get back to basics. Let's get back to the things that worked for us that, that were tried and true. they I know it sounds boring. I know I sound like a, a broken Led Zeppelin record, but but let's 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 manage, let's get back in, roll our sleeves up, manage the pipeline, manage our investors, manage our turn times. Make sure that we're 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 looking at our purchase advices and and like Seth said, you know there's there's money in them there are hills. So you just you just have to look for it. And I think if we do that, I think you'll be okay.
2: And since you queued him up, I'm going to turn it over to Seth for his takeaway.
4: <laughs>
3: understand understand your core competencies. Stick to the strategy that works for you. Understand your break even, and then run those scenarios those what-if scenarios to understand what could be different about those break-even scenarios. And once you've done that, then you can move move along and do more of the innovative things.
2: Awesome. And uh last but not least, Brian Traeger, your thoughts closing out.
0: Yeah. Well, Amy, I love the shout-out to the zero-based budgeting. Was that a 3G capital, a Kraft Heinz type of thing? I like it. Um, But I, I think you know, trying to prepare for what is next in that uncertainty. So similar to what Seth said, like if this, then that. So it's a movie we've all seen before, probably coming next, but we don't know which one. So go to the shelf and dust off all those playbooks and think about what might be coming next so that when it happens, you're a little bit more prepared. Um, And that's super vague, I understand. (laughs) But starting to think about, uh, what the possibilities are after. Because hopefully you've got your orders and people are marching and doing their thing. It's starting to get long-term thinking.
2: It's fantastic, Brian. Well, I want to thank each of the five of you for the contributions today. This was a fantastic discussion. I want to remind our attendees to be on the lookout for the second half 2022 mortgage industry outlook right up from the team at Maxwell. And I want to thank Maxwell again for our long-term partnership for co-hosting today. And uh, on that note, wish you all of nothing but the greatest successes in the back half of 2022 and stay strong out there. Have a good afternoon, everybody. Thanks, Thank Tom. You. Thank you. Thank you.
5: Thanks, Tom.